As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me today an old friend from New York, one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, celebrity doula, maternity wellness expert, Latham Thomas. Welcome. I want to tell my listener a little bit about you. You support women in embracing optimal wellness and spiritual growth as a pathway to empowerment. This means a lot right now. You're leading a revolution in radical self-care. You're guiding women everywhere to mother themselves first. You're the founder of Mama Glow, which is how and when I found you when that was rising up. It's a global woman's health and education brand serving women along the childbearing continuum. You support women and families during the fertility period, pregnancy, birth, as well as during postpartum. You wrote a book, Own Your Glow, which is a favorite, a soulful guide to luminous living and crowning the queen. And that came out in June of this year. I am super proud to have you here. Um, we met, I think it was 10 years ago now, that we met um, through Lauren Zander way back in the day. And the first thing I noticed about you, Latham, was not your sense of style, even though that was like first and a half. It was your brain, your brain. The minute you started talking, I was like, I need to know this person. It's so clear that you're a forever student. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what your learning and knowing about the black maternal health crisis, because I think we, my listener and I, need to understand the truth of that first. Yeah. I mean, first of all, thank you so much for having me and um, allowing me to be a part of uh, this moment with your community. You know, I think that uh, it's really interesting, the time that we're living in and um, I think because of social media and all of these tools of um, awareness, which can be um, powerfully uh, important for us to um, educate ourselves and um, to understand the time that we're living through, but also can make us fraught with anxiety and can really make us feel like there's really no way forward. And so I, I really want people to sit in the possibility that they can um, they can always have a pathway to support and a way to um, unpack these realities through community. I know that for me in the work that we do, we've cultivated a community of hundreds and hundreds of folks around the globe who are doing this work to empower families, to help birthing people navigate this experience of 
maternal health. Um, we're talking about a continuum, not just that includes birth, but we look at every juncture along the reproductive continuum as one where people lack support, right? Like during menses, there's no support, pregnancy, birth, um, loss, miscarriage, uh, stillbirth, breastfeeding. You know, when you get to the other side of the experience and you're in your crone phase of life, perimenopause, like where is the support for people? And so um, we've built systems against women, systems against caregiving, and we've built systems against uh, adequate supports. And so currently we're in the most dangerous place on the planet to give birth, and that's the U.S., the most dangerous place in the developed world, Wow! right? And when you think about that, you know, it says a lot about where we are and our priorities because we spend the most money per capita on healthcare. We have the most potent military force, right? Like our war machine is in full effect, mm -hmm. but we have no investment in education um, and we have no investment really in in creating a, a healthcare system, right? We have, I mean, there's really no health or care in the system that actually we send people into for medical treatment, for um, birth, right? Mm -hmm. there, is, there is no health and there is no care at all involved in it. And so um, what we're seeing is that there's obstetrical violence. We see that there's medical racism. We know that there is bias, there's neglect. So we know that um, how people show up in these times of real vulnerability, what they look like, how they present can affect how they're treated, what type of insurance they have will affect the type of care that they get, what wow. type of screenings they have access to, what type of doctors they can even have access to or specialists. So there's apartheid built into this system. Right. And so when we talk about something like black maternal health, we're talking about a system, particularly obstetrics and, and gynecology, really gynecology, which was um, advanced um, during chattel slavery. And it was advanced during chattel slavery because um, black women were the key to the financial investment of slaveholders. Right. Because they needed them to breed, to continue um, their investment forward, right, generationally. So they, the, the development and advancement of gynecology was um, the beneficiaries of, of this were obviously white women because pathologies in black women that were cured or that were treated would advance the health of white women. But it was also, there was also a financial component, which was to advance um, the ability for economic um, viability during slavery, right? And so that's what the system's built upon. Right. And all of the learnings, all of the people who actually contributed, if you think about um, Black women who were really African women who were brought here forcibly, we celebrate this, well, we commemorate this date of 1619. 400 years at um, 19, uh, 2019 was the mark of 400 years of this, of um, the first Africans being brought here forcibly upon these shores. And so 
um, in that passage, the middle passage, the travel that they took to get here, which was a very long and arduous trip. Many of them were already pregnant before they arrived at these shores. Many were raped, were beaten. Um, they got here, those who survived, and they delivered each other's babies. Many babies were born in the middle passage in darkness. Wow. You know, and so you have people who arrive at these shores, who brought with them their medicine, who brought with them their knowledge, who also had a completely different view of what spirituality and embodiment looked like because they were not bound to our Cartesian model of mm -hmm. um, mind and body being one, but this idea of being able to inhabit the spirit and be able to be carried and lifted by the spirit and having a different type of cosmology um, that helped them to have faith in this journey that they had to take, which was obviously arduous and against their will. And so they had this ancestral technology that they brought with them and arrived here, delivered each other's babies, delivered the slave master's babies, and even would take care of the slave master if there were no doctors around. So they were highly dependent upon, they were highly skilled, and all of their wisdom was siphoned because they worked inside slave hospitals many times, again, against their will, were mm. experimented upon, were used for medical science. Mm. Uh, no anesthesia, um, would have surgeries without any, without any anesthesia. Imagine being operated upon without consent and no anesthesia, right, for the advancement of medicine. You know, so the, so the Black Party's been harmed for so many years. And so there's already a mistrust of the system. Mm. There's already a view that you that your body is impervious to pain. There's already this view that you need to be subdued, that you're wild, that um, you're dangerous, right? And so this is already embedded in these systems. This is like part of what's been taught for hundreds of years. And so if you fast forward, there's the only possibility for what we see that sits on our hands and on our hearts as something that has to be fixed immediately. What else, is, what, what else could be possible with that being the impetus, right? There's never been a reckoning, right? right? So, so this is where we stand, right? And so the statistics are what they are, that Black women are... Um, four times more likely than white women to die during childbirth or due to childbirth-related causes. Um, this number is the same in a place like the UK, right? So it's not just Black women in the US. We see this um, in, in the UK and other places as well. Um, and it really speaks to a phenomenon of anti-Blackness being a global phenomenon, right? And not um, unique to this place. But I would say the experiences that Black women have in this country are very unique to them, right? And so you will see that the history, the historic arc and the things that have taken place that have created sort of a through line, a, a weaving of generational trauma that's bound in, inside of Black bodies, then that's unique to this place and time, right? So um, 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, it's enraging, but we have to show up every day to do what we can to right what has been wrong for so long and to unbind these, um, these shackles and to also free ourselves and, and reclaim our ancestral tools for care. And part of that is bringing back in the wisdom of the body and, and also the, the folks who serve at the, the side of birthing people, right? Like we really need to recenter care and re-envision really, right? And imagine what a holistic view and service model can look like that doesn't just look at um, you know your physical body, but really looks at you as a whole human being, yeah. right? And that's yeah. that's really missing. It's really missing. Um, I have tears streaming down my face. I had to mute the microphone several times to my listener. It's really important that you listen to the sixteen nineteen podcast so that you can get some context around what what Latham's just described. It's not everything, but it's a, it's a really good feel for what that passage must have been like for what it was like to be um, forced from your own land, taken to another land to be a slave. Like really grab onto this for a moment, my listener, and really hear the two words that Latham used, medical racism. This has its its bones in the history of the making of this country. And in case you're not familiar, that is a 400-year-old, in-the-making phenomenon that is happening right under our noses in the hospital down the road from you right now. That if a Black woman shows up ready to give birth, she has a certain kind of insurance a white woman shows up, same age, same health stats, has a different kind of insurance. Do you know what will happen to the two women? They will be treated differently. This is not this is not unreal. This is true and it's happening right now. What needs to happen is more of what Latham has described, which is more bringing back of deep ancestral wisdom. It's coming from another place. We're honored to have it close to us in a woman like Latham Thomas. We're honored to have it close to us in the women that she has trained with whom she works. And this is where we need to put our vision, our eyeballs, our attention, our care, our ideas, our resources. This is where. So Latham, um, what I'd love to know is where in your service in the whole many, many years of your creation of Mama Glow and all the itinerant things that you do. How are you addressing this head on personally? And if my listener wanted to help in some way, whether it's resources, time, um, listening, how would my listener take part in that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, one thing that I didn't mention that I think is critical for people to understand also is that, you know, when we talk about this issue, people tend to think, well, 
it must be for poor people or it must be people who, you know, are in rural areas. Like this can't be like everyone. Well, actually education, economic status, uh, none of these things protect black women. Right. And so you would think that, um, you know, higher education could protect you. It does not. And so we see this also um, economic mobility does not protect you. You see someone like Serena Williams who had to jump out of the bed to save herself because she almost died, right? I don't know that story. She has all the money, yeah. <laughs> right? And and had to, after her C-section, had to, felt, felt um, you know, actually was getting... Um, uh, clots in her lungs and almost had a pulmonary embolism. And again, this is because she knew her body, knew that she needed to advocate for herself. But for the people who don't, what happens, right? Wow. Um, their, their outcomes can be lethal. So it should be noted that for white women who have higher education, their chances for maternal mortality decrease, right? And so that's how we know it has nothing to do with all these other factors and has everything to do with race. And, and when we say that, we don't mean that, you know, that something's wrong with you if you're black. What we mean is that something's wrong with the system and that it's not race that's the issue, it's racism that that's the issue. So right. because you look this way, and, and, and I also want to say that you know, as we talk about this, like race is one of the larger components. When we talk about white supremacy, it includes racism. It includes sexism. It includes ableism. It includes ageism. It includes um, uh, transphobia and homophobia, right? Like these are all facets, right? And and these are going to be experiences that if you fall into any of those categories, you and you have intersections along those categories, you might find yourself having similar experiences of neglect, of lack of care, of lack of consistent care, of, you know, feeling marginalized, feeling, you know, shut out or being, you know, not being listened to, uh, being ridiculed, all of these things, you know, you might have similar stories, right? So, so I think it's very important to kind of, you know, note that like while the largest group that's affected in terms of statistics are Black and Native American women uh, in this country, there are many people who fall along this continuum who are also seeing similar experiences because of where they fall on the margin too, right? right. So, um, and yeah, there's nothing that can protect you except for the fact that like, you know, you have to know how to advocate for yourself. And even then there are people who are super skilled, who know their way around. Some people who are doctors who have similar experiences and are actually working in the medical system, right? This happens to so many people, regardless of who they are. And so really important to understand that not only is it that we're, we're talking about a system, not necessarily individuals, right? Because you can go to your doctor and say, wow, my doctor's really amazing. I haven't had an experience like that. Amazing. But guess what? They've been immersed in this system of education, of a system that's harmed, right? And so when when we think about this, when, when I go into first and second year um, medical students, their classrooms, right? And, and start talking and, and get a sense of like sort of where they are in terms of education. There's so many things that I'm really 
astonished that they don't know, right? And I'm not a doctor, but I we have a lot of doctors and nurses and um, sometimes even midwives who are in our doula courses. And I'm always astonished at like what people haven't learned and what they haven't been taught and what hasn't been prioritized. And, you know, one of the things I think that's coming up a lot is, you know, this idea of um, uh, anti-racism training and, you know, people doing these workshops and it's not a workshop. There's no workshop that you can take that is going to upend and fix or miraculously improve what has gone on for hundreds of years, hundreds. what is deeply bedded in a root system, yep. a root system. Yep. It's like if you decided to go over to an oak tree that has been sitting in the ground for 400 years and you're going to go try to, you're just going to, how are you going to get it out? <laughs> how are you going to go mm. and uproot that tree? Mm. And because when you pull and you yank and you try to dislodge it, there's a lot that comes with that, right? It mm. is it is an incredible feat. And so when we're talking about changing something that's deeply embedded, that's deeply bound, but also where there are deep interests in, in keeping alive, right? There's a lot of resistance to that. And even though people will say they want to improve this and they want to change that, it's not as easy as, um, it's not it's not that simple as taking a class. Yes, there's a starting point, right? Like there has to be a, a, not a conversation. There has to be a um a space where people are doing this work actively but it's not um a practice of the mind right this work that is um to be done is visceral it is work of the heart it is work of healing it is trauma bound so it's in our tissues so mm. for the people who need to rewire themselves um this is a process that cannot happen in a classroom so while i'm really hopeful that we can uh, change a lot of things as we move forward. I do not think it's going to be because people have mandatory three-hour anti-bias trainings. Like That's not going to do anything. I think it is great for people to check off a list and feel better about themselves, but it's not going to make a change. And so we're talking about systemic change. It means there has to actually be divesting in systems to do so. And what does it mean to divest, right? Well, what that can look like is actively investing in systems of midwifery, in setting up um, freestanding birth centers and places for out-of-hospital birth to occur, especially in a time like COVID where people had to birth in a hospital mm -hmm. and they were not sick. But guess what? They could not have support because of the rules of the institution. And so- we need to have spaces where we are safe and have bodily autonomy and can have the care and the provision of care of people who we want, people who look like us, who make us feel safe. We need that. And so we have to start investing in that. We have to start talking to our policymakers about that. We have to start funneling our, our money to that. We have to start investing in people in our communities who are doing this type of care, right? Mm -hmm. um, Black midwives, Native American midwives, and Latinx midwives are people that we should be investing in, right? Yes. And so that's what we need to be doing and looking at 
organizations that are led by um, Black, Indigenous, people of color and pouring in not only financial resources, but also what is it that you're good at? Are you good at grant writing? Um, can you come volunteer? Like, what can you do to pour into the work that they're already doing, right? Can you build a website? Like, what is that skill that you can bring, right? Mm -hmm. So these are all things that we all do. The other thing I would say is you can think about the advancement of, of midwifery and, and doula work, and you can sponsor a doula, right? A lot of people need to do this work and it can have a ripple effect in their community if they have access to training. And it can be cost prohibitive for many people. And so investing in a doula scholarship program, like we run one through Mama Glow, we actually have two different types of scholarships, um, but you could do a monthly thing where you're just giving on a monthly basis. You could sponsor a couple of students. You could go to some of the um, schools, um, nursing schools, midwifery schools, local uh, or national, and you could find out what scholarship funds they have. Um, what do they have specifically for people from certain communities um, that are underserved? You'd like to put your money there, right? So mm -hmm. these are all things that you doing. Um, and then, you know, we have a critical moment right now. Um, we have a, a maternal health momnibus act that was uh, introduced to Congress um, this year. And we need to really try to push that from now until really Christmas time before the next Congress, right? And so you can, you can really, and actually our uh, current, you know, vice president, uh, lead, you know, in this, in this race for, um, the democratic seat, hopefully, <laughs> um, Kamala Harris was one of the, you know, original sponsors of that, of that Momnibus Act. Right. So we know that then we'll be able to see the advancement of some of these, um, bills that are critically important to shift and change what maternal care looks like for the future. So there's so many ways that you can get involved, so many layers that you can address there's also an app called Earth, I-R-T-H. It's like birth, with, but without the B. It's like dropping the B for bias. And mm. Earth is an app founded by um, Kimberly Seals Allers, who is also the co-founder of Black Breastfeeding Week. And she created this app with her son. They did the coding, and then they were able to um, actually uh, win at the MIT Hackathon and went on to raise um, a substantial amount of funding to actually finance the app. And so the app is a space that's basically like a Yelp for birth providers. Wow. So you could go in as a person and put in your profile, who you are, like everything about, you know, your demographic. And you can put in your provider and you can give your experience to that provider. Now, the reason this is important is because it is not going to be accessible to providers to like switch out their info, right? So you can't see all these like, you know, reviews that have been, um, you know, modified. It will be really like how Yelp is, right? Where you just see what, um, the real what people have to say. The real deal. And so that means that if you're like a same sex couple and you're looking for, you know, a great provider and then you read about someone tells you like, hey, I have a great doctor and you go look them up. You're like, whoa, other same sex couples are saying that they experience this. Right. Mm -hmm. Or if you're mm -hmm. a black person 
and your white girlfriend says, hey, check out my provider, and you go look them up, you're like, whoa, all the black patients are saying this, right? So it helps us to create accountability, um, but also it helps us to make better consumer choices. And it's important also for white folks to use this app because you also want to say, like, I'm not going to bring my business to you because look at all these reviews that you have that are bad from Black people, right? So it also helps to create some allyship around um, accountability to providers. So there's Mm -hmm. so many ways, right, that we can all, you know, participate. And if you feel called, I would say, to do this type of work, then there are so many um, programs now, especially online because of this time we're living in with COVID, right? And so everything's digital now. You know, our program went digital in March and we just like never looked back. And it was, it's was it been the blessing really of this year to be able to reach hundreds more students per class because of the fact that the internet's like a level playing field and everybody can join. So we have students in India and Australia and we were, we were global before, you know, we were like New York, LA, Miami, and Paris. And then we had students coming in from really all six continents we had represented, but now it's like we have students who could have never flown in that are available, that are able to join us. And so if you're someone that is interested in this work, you can, you can do it. And there's many programs that, you know, can align with your life and and make it feasible for you to do. If you're a parent, if you're busy, if you're just, you know, you're managing two jobs or whatever you have going on. Um, but if you feel called to do the work, there is a pathway for you. And so I would encourage people, you know, who feel something stirring inside to really explore that and, and to know that every month we're showing up with, you know, I'm teaching, we have guest teachers, we have TAs, we have so much support for people who are on this path to make sure that they can really fulfill their purpose and and be in community with other birth workers who are also committed to birth equity and shaping and revisioning the uh, maternal health landscape. What a list of possible ways in which we can involve ourselves. Thank you so much for that. There's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's, that's kind of the beginning for me of um, where I started to donate monthly to Every Mother Counts. Yeah. But I think I want to start to split that and um, come toward you. So I think that will happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that it's local. It's real. It's, it's important. Every Mother Counts handles so much across the globe, including locally. But I feel like this is a similar initiative. And I feel like this is important. So thank you for that. Uh, Let's see. I'll make sure in the show notes that all of those listed opportunities to get involved are there. The one thing that stood out for me was to help fundraise for scholarship money for doulas and Mm -hmm. caregivers, birth caregivers. Can you talk a little bit more about if one of my listeners wanted to, in some way, initiate uh, a raise for such a thing? What would that What would that do exactly, and how would it work? Yeah, well, I can talk about how it works, like on the Mama Glow side. I think every organization's different. You know, for us, we have um, just like a direct donation link on the website, mm-hmm. and. Through there, you know, what, what ends up happening is um, every class, there's 
you know, groups of people who express, you know, where they are in terms of financial need. And they, you know, based on like their circumstances, we don't do like a, any kind of sort of, you know, verification, right? We just trust that people, if they're asking for it, they need it. Right. And, um, and yeah, and, but they fill out an application. We get to know sort of more of who they are. And there is a sort of, not interview process, but they do get to talk to someone and we do get to know a little bit more about them. And then we uh, deliver the awards that way and it goes towards their tuition directly. And so they're able to attend. And what it does for them is um, what people usually do is we, we gather some sort of updates so that we know kind of how they are um, continuing the work when they finish. A lot of people start programs, they start grant projects. I mean, there's one of our students is doing a lot of work in prisons and is creating, um, another student is creating some uh, supports for people who are um, adopting and, you know, doing a whole like project around doulas for adoptees. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, they're all amazing work. And so it's just for us, like another just proud space to stand from in terms of like looking at the community to know that if you think about it, like a couple hundred dollars, like when we might think to ourselves, like what difference will that make? Right. For somebody, it makes a huge difference. And especially in the times that we're in where people have been furloughed, people are housing insecure, job insecure, people do not know, like, I mean, the sky is orange in freaking California. Yeah. It's like, you don't know what's next, right? And so, you know, with all that's happening in this in this moment, I think it's so important to recognize that a little bit does really go a long way and you don't know what it'll do for someone else. And you might think, well, I don't have millions of dollars to donate. You really don't need that. Five, five or 10. Literally. I mean, we have people who just do 25 a month and it's like a thing that they do. And then we have people who do lump sums. And so it just really depends on, what you feel called to do. And again, there are other things that you can do that are, that are helpful, you know? And I think it just, you know, I've seen some people like, um, someone did a, um, selling of their artwork. Like they did this whole thing where they did photographs and they did an auction online. And then they use that to sponsor, um, I think like three or four students. Right. And so there's all Mm -hmm. different types of ways that people use their gifts to advance the, the mission. And so, I think you have to just really sit with yourself and think like, you know, what is it that I that I can can pour in, you know, that I have the capacity to do right now and and just do that. And I think um the also the other thing too to to understand and to realize is like that it doesn't just end there, right? Like money is great and it allows us to do a lot, right? And um you know, Mother Teresa says like if you want to change the world, you need a checkbook. So absolutely we need money. Mm-hmm. But doesn't end there, right? It's like it continues. The work continues. The education continues. The unlearning continues, right? And um, and so it is like attending webinars. It is going to workshops. It is subscribing to email lists and digests and and trying to kind of stay up on top of that um, information. Having a uh, safe space where you can share ideas and and learn more about issues, like that stuff is also critically important so that you stay engaged with what's going on so that when you're at a dinner party or you're in a place where you have some power to 
change something, you're versed on what it is that you need to say, right? And so I think it's important to to be in that, not just give and then turn away, but like, you know, give is great. And then like get your sleeves rolled up and and start to get your hands dirty too around the issues. Yep. Yep. Thank you for that. I'll name a couple of the websites to which I have subscribed that have been really helping me. One is Nicole's, uh, Nicole Cardoza's Anti-Racism Daily. Yeah, she's great. She does a lot of studying and I like reading her work. I like reading the. she has a few other writers now and they're all just very um, helpful to me as a white person who's trying to understand and dismantle these hundreds of years of misinformation and lack of information. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you for this brief but absolutely incredibly edifying and erudite conversation. I really wasn't as aware as I thought I was regarding the issues around black maternal uh, health and maternal mortality even. And I want to thank you for that. Um, I would also love, yeah, I would also love to talk to you a little bit about parenting. You and I raised our sons at the same time in New York. Yours is, I think, three years older than mine. Mm-hmm. And gorgeous. Oh my God. Fulano. Both of them. <laughs> yeah, Jonah's not bad either. Jonah's not bad. Um, Jonah was smitten mm-hmm. with Fulano when he first met him and he was spinning at that event on um where were we? Like Prince Street or Spring Street or something in the Mulberry region. So sweet. Yeah. Oh my God. I I think my listener might find it really helpful to talk about what it means to parent effectively right now, uh, a teenager. Mm. Um, And if you have little kids, hear us, because I think some really good wisdom is about to come out that you probably won't forget, but you'll need when when your kid gets a bit older. I have found Mm -hmm. that relaxing a lot has helped in this family my relaxation, my calm, my steadiness makes a world of difference for the kid. And yes, we're in a time of weirdo, quarantine, all kinds of strange restrictions. I'm curious to know how you address that in yourself, in your household. Is that true for you? And what would you maybe recommend one or two things for folks to do as my listener? Mm, Yeah. You know, um, I think that what I would say about this moment is that, um, and what I find so incredibly I'm grateful for is that all of the tools and all of the practices and every ritual and every moment of a presence has really prepared me for this moment, has really uh, created a pathway for spiritual fitness to meet this moment. And so what I mean by that is that um, I think that so many people are, you know, like they're practicing yoga and they enter a room and they go in a box with other people and bodies are close and meshing and energy. And then they walk out into the world and it's as if that thing never happened, right? And then move on with life and then get upset and then don't have skills to move through it and hang on to energy that they don't need. And and it's like as if the practice never happened. And I think that because 
I've carried this sort of anchoring through every season of my life, integrating practices, body-centered practices, to be able to meet the intensity of a moment, Um, Mm -hmm. being able to call upon the tools of my grandmother, the tools that my mother um, wove into me, the tools of a community and of a lineage, right, that are just sort of um, move, that move through my body um, instinctively. Those are tools I've been using since I was a child to meet moments of stress, of intensity. Mm-hmm. And so when this time of quarantine shows up and a time of unrest shows up, Yes, it's stressful. Yes, it's intense. Yes, it creates anxiety. Yes, there's a a global and I think um, community sense of mourning. And also, hmm. there is resilience. And also, there are tools. Right. And automatically, my body leans into them. And so I I feel thankful for that because it's been something that we've trained for our whole lives, right? Like we've trained our whole lives for moments just like these. So I do not feel ill-equipped. I feel anchored. I feel supported because even though I've been in a house by myself and, you know, with my family, I don't ever feel alone because I have my ancestors with me. My grandmother's right here, right? Like my lineage is with me. So I'm never really alone in that I always have something I can pull from. And again, when we move past this model of thinking that like we are singular bodies and, but understand that like energy moves inside of us, inhabits us, leaves, comes in. Like there's all kinds of access points that we have to move beyond our physical body and and be able to grow ourselves spiritually. And so this is one of those moments, right? That you can really grow yourself. And I've leaned into that, you know, as a parent, I'm modeling for my son how to take care, right? Like of being really um, protective of my rest. Um, You know, I've always been like that, but really, and he's like this too. He sleeps, he lounges, he likes to to rest, very committed to his work, but he loves to be in a bathrobe and, Mm. you know what I mean, just lounge and um, read a book and very relaxed child. But, um, But also I think, this time was restorative for us because we've been cooking together. We've been watching little shows or reading books together or going to the beach and just spending time that we would not have had because otherwise he had been going to school every day and he's been in the house with me. And it's just been like, wow, I wake up, I know where he is. And as a mother who has a 17 year old um, black child that walks out into the world, you know, six foot four, it's like, I know he's six or 17. I know he's a, a innocent, you know, precious little being and a loving spirit, but for some people he can be intimidating, right? And right. and especially we're talking about um law enforcement, the what we see happening around us and specifically what's happening um you know to black people and mostly I would say a lot of times to black men. 
um, it's frightening, right? To send your child out into the world. Yeah. And and I never really fully rest until he's home. Like it, it just, it's like, I'm cool, but I'm like fully, fully relaxed when he's in the house. Yeah. Right? I'm fully, fully relaxed. My nervous system is just like, it just starts to so completely unbind when he's home. And so, um, you know, that is something that I also, also have to deal with that I can't straddle him with because- my gift to him is liberation, right? Like I want him to be free. I don't want him to be walking and carrying the weight of yeah. my parental paranoia, right? Yeah. So I have to process that on my own. I mean, I let him know how I feel. We have, you, you know, he's very mindful of staying in contact because he knows that it'll make me feel more at ease. Um, but I also have to let him be free. And so, you know, there's that. Right. And I think that it's really important as parents in this time is to to learn, um, you know, your children change every day. They grow. And our job is really to be good listeners, um, guides. You know, we're not really in charge like they're in charge. They're we're in charge in terms of like we're the adult. Right. But meaning that they have a life arc that we have really um, no control over what we do have actual access to is their, their listening. We have access to their attention and we can, and how we utilize that opportunity that we have to, to mold and shape and, and, and contribute to who they become that will imprint them and how they show up in the world. And so the best way that we can be engaged with our children is to you know treat treat them like fully actualized human beings, right? And to um, respect and to not um, you know treat them like property or not treat them like you know people that you can control or you know like we have to see that they are they're like they're free, <laughs> you know we're they're in our care but they're free and um, and so I you know have provided boundaries for Falano to grow. And then I also have to realize at certain points, like you have to open up and make more yeah, space yeah. And, and widen that capture so that yeah. he can move more freely so that you're not clipping his wings. Right. And so that's been mm-hmm. something that's been a learning journey for me as well. And, and it's something that, again, like as soon as I hear something tragic, like here comes the low back to my nervous system, right? And then I have to lean into those body-centered practices yes. to move through what is showing up for me as ancestral trauma, right? Yeah. And because these are not just, we don't experience these things, these stories as individual events. Like we've been, these are, these have been assaults on black humanity for hundreds of years. And so when you see this, I, it's like, it's inflaming a wound. It's reopening a wound every single time and it's constant. Right. And so, so for me, I have to, um, you know, lean into self-care as this, as this pathway to, um, be constantly in engaged with myself and with my body and with what is, and, I model that so that my son knows too, like when I'm tired, I sleep. When I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm, you know, like feeling pent up with energy, I move my body. Like I find a way to move that energy out of my body. If I have emotion, I express, right? And so these are things that I want him to have to be an actualized human because these are these are what we need to to move through and to and to process and to grow. And so 
what our kids, especially when we have young ones, like the best thing that you can do is, is to be present with them and to listen and to not malign, but to um, let everything be sort of a learning opportunity. Even things that are challenging to move through don't have to be punitive. They can be learning opportunities for, for us and for them. You know, I've learned a lot about patience. I've learned a lot about, you know, listening and understanding just by parenting, you know, and it's expanded my spiritual capacity being a mother to a son. And so, um, you know, I would say, you know, it is a very challenging experience uh, at times. It's also deeply rewarding. And, and it's actually the, I mean, I didn't realize how much I could love until he was born. I didn't realize that I could like give rise to a friend. Like I had to mm. wait until <laughs> I was like 23 to give birth to my best friend. You know, like it took that long to meet my best friend. And, and, and I don't mean like peer best friend, but I mean like, you know, we're on the soul path together. Right. And so, yeah. you know, that's a real gift when you can bring somebody here or when you get the opportunity, if you, if you get to foster or adopt or however, whatever pathway, you know, um, surrogacy, whatever it looks like for you, that you find your way to parenthood, whatever that pathway is, you know, um, that it's such a gift to be able to be a, a caregiver. And again, because we don't have modeling in our system, you know, we, we have destructed caregiving systems and, and commodified them and, and undervalued them. And so people don't really take, they don't take the honor, you know, or see it as something that's honorable to do, but it really is. It's the most powerful thing you can do is, is to pour into another human being and help them grow. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like nurturing is the most powerful thing. Right. And so yeah. Yeah. I, I think that if you have stuff that is on your heart that, you know, that you need to start processing, um, do that work so that you don't pour that through a sieve that ends up filtering through your child. Right. Um, do that work and, and be in, in dialogue with that, that, um, work of healing, because so many of us are carrying things that, that we did not deserve to have to hold. And, um, but we do have the opportunity and I would say the, um, responsibility to, to change it and to, and to change a legacy and to release some of the stuff that we're carrying. And I know that that's my commitment is to, um, you know, change a path forward and to let go of some of the things that I inherited that, you know, I didn't necessarily want to carry, but that sit, you know, and live in my tissues. Right. Um, right. and it's really my responsibility to unbind that stuff, you know, yeah. while I'm here. Yeah. Recapping. That was a really important little talk, I have to say, recapping, I think, doing our own work and making sure that if we do have something left over in our lineage from our parents and our upbringing that they didn't sort out for themselves, that's something that we can work on now as parents. And as our kids mm -hmm. sort of confront us with basically what are mirrors for our own attitudes and behaviors, we can exactly as Latham said, really practice patience, listening, getting down in there, doesn't matter how old the kid is, and treating the child, no matter how old, like an actualized being. That is mm -hmm. very, very important what you've just said. So much of that resonates. Um, I want to thank you. I 
I feel like there needs to be a part two here and I will pursue that <laughs> at some point in the future because we've already gone over my time, which I rarely do. Um, I'm captivated. I, know. I was like, I'm talking so long. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm captivated by the, the way in which you deliver your understanding and the knowledge that you've gained as, I'm not joking, as wisdom of your lineage, your ancestors, and it's it's being heard, Latham. I really, really appreciate that you took the time to share everything you shared today. Oh my God, I'm so thankful, y'all. Elena and I hmm. have known each other for so long, but also we have been like, yeah, let's do this <laughs> for so long and just time and life. And But I think that um, spirit always knows. And so it's like the time was now. Yeah. And so we had an opportunity to do this. And so I just, I love you. And, yeah, love you, um, you know, yeah, yeah. I lift you in this moment. And I'm, I'm grateful for this, um, this opportunity. And it's, it's just been beautiful to hear your voice and be grounded in this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so very much for taking the time. You made me cry like three times now. Aww. You just, you just <laughs> said, I lift you. I lift you. Listener, hear this. What a thing to say to another person. What a beautiful thing to say. Thank you so much. Honestly, thank you. Have a, have a wonderful rest of your day. Listener, thank you for sticking around with us and more soonest. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.